Welcome to the My Rules Are Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay. Today, look, how can you talk about solo wargaming without a guest? That was my theory. And I'd like to welcome on the host of Keep Off the Borderlands, one and only Spencer. Pleasure to talk to you today, Spencer. Hello. Hello, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. In, in preparation for the show, I actually grabbed my copy of Keep On the Borderlands. And for folks listening in, the name of your podcast is beautifully referencing a manual written by Gary Gygax. Not a manual, a module written by Gary Gygax uh, in the late 70s, I believe. Uh, yes. I, 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 not what I've played, actually. Oh, you haven't played it. Oh, my goodness. When I realized, I don't know when I realized the gritty funness of your podcast name, but when I did, I remembered that I actually had a copy. And I don't think I've actually seen my copy in, I don't know, the past six years perhaps but in preparation for this recording because i thought it might be an interesting example of solo gameplay on an existing module i found my copy of keep on the borderlands and it was just as i don't know sentimental let's say (laughs) as when i first purchased it all of maybe seven or eight years ago for folks listening in who may not be aware of your show and your background you're not a war gamer right you're a role player primarily no, that is correct. Yes, I am a a, a role player. So um, no miniature addiction. I, 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 I'm afraid not. I had a few miniatures back in the day, back in the mid eighties, uh, just a handful of miniatures. But um, that's not something I've returned to. Interesting, interesting. So that part of the hobby, let us just say, will move to one side. But it was interesting actually because I came to this topic. I guess I've solo game played in some regard when I test out rules. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that associated with your own solo gameplay experience. But as you come to this thing, you live in a, my understanding is a relatively remote part of Scotland. Do you have a friendly local game store or anything like that? Or is most of your gaming with people from afar or solo? Um, yes, it's, it's online. Essentially, I game with people dotted around Europe and mm. the US and um, unfortunately well, I, I believe my nearest gaming shop is in Inverness which is just over 30 miles wow. from here and I have n- I've never been in there, in mm. there Interesting. all my purchases have been via the, the post interesting, interesting Yeah, my nearest gaming store that I know about is about 15 miles away but it might as well be the end of the earth. <laughs> so I reflect very thoroughly that, you know, we are, I remember recording a podcast called No Nappies, which I think touched a few people, touched you in particular as well. And one of the things yes. that I reflected on about that was that we need to be thinking about wargaming retirement communities or gaming retirement communities. <laughs> uh, and I have a friend who has land in Canada and I pointed him to the podcast and said, make this happen for your Canadian land. And in terms of the hobby, you do. Do you do any solo gameplay? I've dabbled. Okay. I'm by no means an expert, but I've I've tried um, several times with mixed results. Um, but I have looked into it quite extensively. Hmm. So when you get a new rule set before you play it, what's your process associated with solo gameplay? Well, um, partly. Um, you may or may have not been aware that I have not run a game. I've never actually GM'd. I've wow. always, I'm, I'm the forever player. And part of my recent 
kind of uh, interest in solo gaming is to basically get a little bit of uh, gming experience under my belt interesting and, uh you know just uh, test test myself really before uh, taking myself out on the on the road unleashing myself on a party in terms of your process i mean i when i started thinking about this as a topic my thought was the joy that i get out of gaming is with an online group for example and i do do solo gameplay and testing but what's your standard process like if you get a new rule system are you going to solo play it and how do you explore that well i wouldn't say i have a standard process as such i've tried various methods um i would generally the the first thing i like to do is roll up a character and maybe yes sort of pit them against something kind of uh generate maybe some uh um do a little sort of some small scale world building perhaps roll up a few locations and stuff like that and then set out to explore in in, in that sense i i have looked into solo gaming and there's, there's quite a few really interesting youtube channels um one called geek gamers in particular um that's, that's full of really great tips and in fact they um they put out a book recently called the solo game master's guide which i believe is available as a pdf on drive through it's uh, distributed through modifius and anybody i i would recommend that to anybody who wants to know what this is all about really but, but what what interests me as a player is exploration and it's very difficult to surprise yourself so um i do look to employ um random tables quite heavily uh, in the sense of um you know just trying to uh, throw up interesting situations to to deal with one of the things that fascinated me about keep on the borderlands was I guess I'm looking to this from a kind of nostalgia perspective, although there are a few games that interest me for solo gameplay. And what I think interested me was the idea of taking an existing rule system, both in one case a wargaming rule system and in maybe three or four cases role-playing games, and then what was necessary in order, to, as you say, the surprise element. Keep on the mm. Borderlands fascinated me because rather than a very detailed map that showed treasure and, you know, skeletons and gnolls and all the things on the map, it was very much in the kind of fighting fantasy choose your own adventure where each of the rooms within the dungeon was numbered and then you'd come to a numbered dungeon. So you wouldn't have any knowledge that if you were in room three and you moved into room four, the treasure and the gnolls are in room four because it wasn't actually on the map. Mm. So I think that interested me in... I mean, part of my background to actually talking about solo gameplay is that I have so many rule systems <laughs> and just a means of going back and nostalgically looking at these rule systems. And I put a video online before we had this conversation of two of the Palladium games that interest me for solo gameplay. I did watch that and very interesting was in two. Neither of them have an explicit solo path. And I think some of the modern game systems, actually, they explicitly have solo paths that you can use if you want to um you know explore the game system in the solo sense both of the rule systems i explored in the video have scenario books 
which unlike the keep on the borderlands where you have a map and scenarios applicable, you have to read a lot of background and detail. I came to this topic also by looking at a YouTube channel called Paint All the Minis with regards to wargaming specifically. And what they detailed on Keep All the Minis was having a series of cue cards. In fact, I'm using these cue cards as we talk as well, um, as a means of dividing potential behaviors into three possible directions. And then at any given time, going down the list of directions and picking that. And that was their randomizing elements, almost a kind of pre-written randomization. But certainly looking at things like old school D&D and the Palladium books and these kind of things, the ability to have pre-existing, you know, dungeons or campaigns or what have you almost is at the point of kind of choose your own adventure capacity. In terms of your random tables, what do your random tables, I mean, this... Do you have game examples that you solo game plan? Do you have random table examples from those games? Um, well, one uh, one game that I've enjoyed playing uh, solo is Into the Odd, and the, mm. there are quite a lot of random tables, and also by by extension, uh, Electric Bastion Land, is, mm. which is kind of like the follow up to Into the Odd, but it's much more of a toolkit, mm. which. Uh, uh, sort of full of prompts and um, methods for creating locations and content mm. and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, that is, that's very helpful. It's very much a randomizing universe. I seem to recall certainly our mutual friend Barney talk about it, and it struck me that a majority of the game was actually created through randomization. Well, yes, it's one of these uh, games that you would, I'd say it has an implied setting. Hmm. And a lot of the, um, there's no sort of extensive fiction or background. A lot of the, the, the world is presented as a bullet points and kind of everybody's, everybody's going to have a different take on yes. what this world actually turns out to, um, uh, consist of. I mean, what was interesting looking back through Keep on the Borderlands was it gave a lot of detail associated with what the role the games master should take through the game. And I think one of these things about solo gameplay is a kind of blurring of the line between player and games master. But if the role can be, as you say, randomized or given kind of discrete interactions that you can move through, then solo gameplay becomes considerably easier, I think. Part of this is also to do with ritual as well. And certainly when I look at the games that I've played with people, you know, it's the rituals that I return to that are, you know, central to the gaming. What is your standard ritual for solo gameplay? Can you do it in bed with, you know, your partner beside you, or is it something where you need a dedicated table and dedicated time? I yes, I would have to take myself away and dedicate some time to it. Which, um, uh, yes, I mean, I'd love to be able to say play in bed or be able to play on a, you know, on a, a plane or something like that. But I don't. I feel I'm not. Uh, not so organized as to be able to do that. I'm just, I, I like to surround myself with things, lists, papers, tables to roll on and, you know, a paraphernalia. So you'd set aside time, you'd set aside dice, you'd set aside paperwork and you put these things in front of you. And then do you, I mean, one of the things that I enjoy about the GMing process is that I'm constantly rolling dice not necessarily to mm. spook probability out of the, the players, 
But just, you know, in my own mind, I'm like, well, there's a percentage of that happening or that happening or that happening. Let me roll to see what happens. More a kind of internal narrative of probability, which the players occasionally get to touch upon. Do you yes. maintain this with is your solo gameplay as well? Are you constantly in a state where you're rolling actively to get a sense of what's going on? Um, well, yes. I mean, partly that's um, part of the pleasure of of doing it is the the rolling of dice to as I say, surprise myself with what I might end up facing or how well I might be able to cope with it. It's interesting because you, um, it's almost like you're shifting positions from being the player to being the GM. And, uh, sometimes, you know, if you know too much about the situation you're in, you have to teach the, sorry, uh, treat the, the character as the more random element. If, if that makes sense. Certainly. And yeah, it's a beautiful kind of blurring of the, of the line. Now, I guess as we're recording this in the Microsoft Better podcast, part of this is also the ability to expand some of the rules that I've already gotten out for solo gameplay and how explicit one needs to be. I've been looking at a game called Zona Alpha, which is really Osprey's version of my just playing chaos rule system. And it has interesting sections where it assumes the player is addicted to miniatures where it assumes the player has a long-standing history of buying excessively with regards. And they kind of almost go to you in saying, we know you already have this addiction. So don't worry, just bring the miniatures that you already have, you know, that you're already addicted to. But the nature of solo gameplay here is considerably different because it's the maturity you have as a player is one thing, but you have to discard a good portion of that. Let's take Electronic Bastion Land as an example. Very random with regards to the actual creation of characters, right? You have a, a mm, bunch of different yes. possibilities, and you... So that seems to write itself in terms of it being randomized. The character behavior, do you look at distinct behaviors like irascibility and, uh, you know, compliance with commands? Uh, you know, the person is likely to do things that they're told to do or they will go independently and do a bunch of additional things. What kind of tables are you using for actual, you know, self-player, for want of a better term here, behaviour in this circumstance? Um, well, there is, I do kind of um, have... Uh, when, when I create the character, I sort of uh, imbue them with certain qualities. But it is possible to... I've, I've got a good example here. as a book called Cairn, which is in fact, a, like a fantasy hack of Into the Odd. Mm. And it's actually got, when you're creating a character, you can roll, um, you know, on uh, character traits, like the physique, the attitude, the even even how they might speak. Certainly. You know, vices, reputation, mm. and uh, things like that, um, which is, is very handy for... You know, creating a variety of characters. If indeed you want to create a party of of, uh, of characters, if, when you when you play solo, certainly. Do you have a limit for playing solo? Like after three characters, it just becomes too schizophrenic. Or do you? I mean, what's the maximum number of characters you've ever played in a solo game? Um, well, I using into the odd. I think. Well, yeah, it was Electric Bastion Land, and I rolled up. Four characters. Wow. Okay. Um, one one of the characters, in fact, was actually a a group of uh, five 
urchins mm. in uh, the the operated as one character. Interesting. They've kind of uh, in in like a sort of a you know in a trench coat type mm. uh, configuration, um, which is one of the more quirky characters that uh, you you can roll up mm. in uh, Electric Bastion Land. And I took them through a a, a dungeon that was. Um, Probably only about uh, half a dozen rooms. Interesting. Uh, so because it was that sort of limited space, I probably decided to create a, a larger party than I normally would. Mm-hmm. Oh, if, if I'm thinking more open-endedly, I'd probably create one character and then perhaps create a contact or a, like a retainer or yes. you know some kind of sidekick and uh, see where they get up. Mm. Um, to um, also possibly uh, creating a an antagonist as well at Certainly. the same time that Interesting. Uh, placed somewhere else uh, mm. uh, in, in the world. And the term urchin here has multiple meanings. I realise that as you were saying it. Do you mean like a street hustler, or do you mean yes, a mollusk? Yes. Okay, uh, not a mollusk. <laughs> no, no, at small children. Yes, uh, um, kind of uh, a, a bunch of uh, Oliver Twists. If Very you know. good to be Dickensian. Mm. Perfect, perfect. So when I framed this as a potential topic for this podcast, I know it, it. the podcast actually started talking about aspects of solo gameplay and aspects of how to maintain a game solo, but it takes this podcast in a completely different direction. And I'm interested actually in recording, you know, follow-ups as I've experimented. Palladium, how does it play out? Uh, advanced D&D through also using, well, Keep on the Borderlands is a beautiful example because it's a basic D&D. It's not an advanced D&D module. Mm. So playing through these kind of modules and historically, I mean, for example, when I did the game at work, which was a fifth edition D&D game, I used first edition modules, some basic modules even, and just expanded them accordingly. I think the nature of being a seasoned player of these games and then moving into solo gameplay is not necessarily a difficult step. But for new people that are getting into these games and maybe isolated, I mean, COVID was probably a wonderful time for solo gameplay really to start moving. And I know a number of the YouTube channels that are about this topic, you know, saw their um, membership rise dramatically through COVID because obviously it was... But now many of us are just feeling isolated even though COVID is over. So for folks who are interested in starting out, how would you recommend? Would you recommend... A game like Electric Bastion Land just because it lends itself very heavily, or do you think anyone can pick up almost any role playing game and move it to solo relatively easily? Yeah, technically speaking, you could probably, yes, solo any role playing game. Personally, I favor lighter rule sets, mm-hmm. but there's no reason why um, something more crunchy wouldn't, uh, wouldn't work. In fact, yes. Um, Something more. It, thinking about basic D and D, there is a very definite structure to play. You know, a, a, mm. um, a procedure of play. Yes. That I think lends itself to to solo gaming. And um, maybe starting out. I know it's a great way to learn a system. Yes. But if if you're if you're familiar with the system already, that might be easier. Um, I think possibly the most important thing is it being a setting that you want to 
yes. explore. Most definitely. Um, I mean, that's mm. what returns me to the nostalgia point. The games that I'm looking to explore are all older games that I already own and just want to get, either return to something, which was certainly mm. the No Nappies discussion too, but also just potentially get the reverence of the, you know, the old... I mean, I certainly found that well as I was looking through the, um, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rules, for example, the Palladium rules for TMNT and also the Robotech rules. But these were two rule systems which I had actually played historically, but I just had a reverence for the setting and the rules and I wanted to get into that kind of mindset. What interests me is the distinction between rules reading and actual solo gameplay. Have you ever had a situation where you've played solo and your character has either been killed or lost dramatically or had some really, I don't know, negative life-changing event occur with it? Um, well, actually, the that the dungeon I played through, the the whole party uh, actually got, got wiped out. Gosh. So uh, there, there's that. Even in a small um, dungeon. Yeah, so, so it must have been a particularly yes, savage yes. small dungeon. It was. Or, or just maybe... Um, <laughs> Maybe it's just poor management of the, of the party on my part, but um, uh, yeah. So that wasn't too, you know, that was that was a bit of an experiment, and I wasn't really ex- intending to extend it beyond that one session mm. anyway. So interesting. The they all, it was a, a total party kill was not really um, that much of a problem. Um, I did uh, in a more open ended kind of uh, a thing that's still ongoing in a way i've uh, you know it's kind of paused in my head where where these characters are um but i started out with two characters and one of them was actually taken out in the second encounter gosh and um uh um and that uh, it was interesting it, it was certainly something i wasn't expecting but um uh, it certainly didn't put a crimp on the game. Um, the, the, fortunately, the other characters survived long enough to encounter, um, somebody else who was able to mm. join them on the, on the, on the journey. Very cool. Very cool. So for folks interested in getting started, what's your primary recommendation? Should they read the rule system and then put themselves in the setting? Obviously, you've recommended one book from the YouTube channel associated with solo gameplay what what do you think the prescription is here um well i probably um as a, as a player i've often made the mistake of creating a character and then thinking and and they sort of exist in isolation yes. initially so yes. it's it's probably good to imagine first where you want that your character to be mm. then create the character drop them mm. into the scenario the, this scenario um one tip uh, to kind of get the ball rolling is um to perhaps uh, look at some either the gaming book itself that you're using or or maybe some fiction that um uh, of a similar tone or setting mm. and i'd consider rolling up say grabbing a bunch of d10s rolling up a random page number Flicking through, finding uh, a paragraph or something, and perhaps looking at that and seeing if you could utilize that as a, like a jumping-off point. You know, to take elements from the literature and try and weave some kind of narrative out of that, some uh, situation. 
That's fascinating. So randomizing the resultant point that you then start generating from. Interesting. And after that, I think it's, that's when the structure of play comes in and you essentially, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it feeling too board gamey. Yes. If that makes any sense. Certainly. Um, uh, because if that helps to keep the momentum going, then it, then um, it all comes out in the wash, as it were. Very good, very good. Well, I think you've given a number of fascinating initial steps, Spencer. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. In terms of this podcasting Thank game you, that we're we're a part of, do you have any mm. thoughts about the direction that you're? I, I, my understanding is that Anchor has stopped the voicemail element. People are still submitting audio. Is that correct? Um, yes. I mean the 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 anchor messages was a big part of my episode, so I would always kick off the episodes by going through the the voicemails I'd received. Um, I have set up an alternative um, way to contact me through something called Speakpipe. Interesting, but as it's kind of as it's a, an, an additional step to leave the message, that seems to be just enough to put people off leaving messages. Interesting. I certainly feel that way when um, reaching out to other uh, podcasts that I listen to that I regularly mm. contact. Uh, the, me, my contacting them has dropped off quite significantly since the ease of leaving messages has has been removed. Yes, it was an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, you've heard me narrate the anchor format versus my historical way of doing podcast submissions, but I'm now also actively tracking you know listeners coming in which in the past i did periodically with certain podcasts my substantial mm. podcast model where on radio in terms of just length of time and number of listeners i maintain which is a call-in format i mean that's fundamentally the same thing as what anchor was doing but rather than having kind of time independent call-ins people need to call into model where radio when it's specifically being recorded but it is yeah. interesting watching the kind of changing in podcasts what the answer kind of machine element of your anchor cast was really central to devising the format. So I'm interested in, in seeing what happens, whether you become, as I have to be on my rules, a better kind of independent narrator associated with these things, or whether the, you know, the format will continue to evolve. Have you thought of, I mean, I'm not sure how many months it's been since the, voicemail leaving facility was removed from anchor but what's your sense of how your podcast will evolve given what has happened so far um, i guess i'm i mean it is a, it is a shame that that mm. that element has dropped off um i still get the occasional message and i do find that that does prompt um episode content mm -hmm. um i have found it I, I just generally I've found it more difficult to release episodes and that's become less frequent recently. Yes. I, I don't think that's particularly connected with the messaging. Although sometimes if the messages have piled up a bit, that's impetus to try and get an episode out. Certainly. But um, I've certainly, I've got stuff in mind that I want to talk about over the next couple of episodes. Um, it's just a matter of, yeah, so finding the time to actually do it um yes. i i um i think it, it does take me a little longer to put episodes together than um than yourself as mm. um i would i would call your approach more a uh, gorilla 
approach. <laughs> you basically you had a thought in mind, you record it, and you put it out as yes. an episode. And that's, that's the way I try to do it. That's great. Mm, mm. And it's it's really really nice uh, to listen to. Like well, that. thank it's you. A, a thank great you very much. Format. And but it's not something I feel that I am. Uh, I have a talent for mm. my my talent is more with the the rambling and editing. <laughs> yes, I, so uh, yeah. I I mean the whole podcast recording time for me is a luxury as it is for my ability to talk to you currently. So my perspective is that I have when I have the luxury of time, I try to utilize the luxury of time as much as possible, and if that's a six minute podcast on a particular idea that's a six minute podcast or a 14 minute podcast or you know a 20 minute podcast if i have the luxury of time um but no it fascinates me obviously our, our mutual friend barney is kind of has not done as many podcasts as i think either of us might particularly want from him um mm, in the recent past indeed and uh, yeah, the motivation behind it i reflect on this heavily i mean even though i talked about model rail radio it's as much a group of friends getting together on a regular basis, having a good chinwag than it is anything. And sometimes there's mm. internal politics and stuff that's just associated with uh, middle-aged men friendships um, that comes into that as well. Um, and it's interesting doing two very distinct kinds of podcasts. I used to do a buddy podcast as well for the longest period of time, one in one format, one in another format, uh, and one in a kind of third format. Um, but the ability to record with someone on a regular basis also changes the nature of the podcast format. Um, mm. So I'm interested to see the direction that Keep Off the Borderlands takes going forward, particularly since the, you know, the, the voicemail parts, it's more associated with, as you note, I wouldn't even call your podcast Ramblecast. I think that's, that's a bit too offensive um, in the circumstances, but I do really enjoy when you get jamming on a particular topic. So I'm certainly listening with some degree of interest to see what happens. And my hope is that, uh, Thank you. my hope is that Barney will record more podcasts soon and he's just going through whatever he's going through currently. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Spencer. I know it's been a brief chat, but just the luxury of time. I think you've left a lot of food for thought. Hopefully based on listless missions and maybe future thinking, we could do this again sometime. Oh, that would be great. This has been a pleasure and uh, thank you for having me on, Tom. Pleasure as always, Spence. Please continue to produce the great content that I thoroughly enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.